Stacy, good morning. How is it in North Carolina? Good morning, John. I'm doing well. We have a 95-plus degree weather going on right now, so we're a little toasty out here in North Carolina, But um, and uh, reinstating uh, mask-wearing requirements, which is good. I mean, we've, we've had them for quite some time, but I think we're strengthening them again. So, um, yeah, North Carolina is sort of on the same trajectory, just a little bit warmer this week than it was last week. So, and uh, how about you? Are you... Uh, Doing well in California. Uh, you guys are, are also doing more shut lockdowns, right? Yeah, yeah. Things are getting locked down pretty tight, but the um, um, the weather has given us a break. It's it's been, it's oh. been um, low 80s for a couple of days, and it looks like that'll stick around for a week. And so everybody's dancing because you could go outside in the afternoon. Um, yeah. yeah, we're. Much nicer weather, 80 than 95, I will admit. It's amazing what 10 degrees does, yep. right? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And, and so, so, so it's getting locked up. I'm, I'm getting really concerned that um, because there is no leadership at the top, um, we're headed into very, very dark times. Very, very dark times. The, the, the case rate in the country is triple what it was at the peak of the first shutdown. And we're not acting like that. We're not acting like that. No. We're, um, no, and, actually, uh, I, I'm watching the numbers, and there's more investments and more business and stuff and, and positive numbers coming out of second quarter uh, around the globe than we've seen in a long time. So, yeah, we're not acting like the, like the skyrocketing here, at least in the States, yeah. Well, well. Two million dollars worth of free money goes a really long way. Two trillion dollars, two, three trillion dollars. All that money, it has, it has an impact and it has kept the economy afloat. But that doesn't mean that things are okay, right? It's fake. The whole thing is fake. <laughs> and and um, you could buy a lot with three trillion dollars. You know, my, my, um, my son who is a struggling, starving artist, said, wow, with the kickers from, the kickers from um, um, uh, unemployment and, uh, and the small business loans, my credit cards are down to zero. And you know what? I know a lot of people who did that. I know a lot of people yes. who, lot. who are in, in very nice shape because there was a, a bunch of money that fell out of the sky that you could use to rearrange your circumstances a little bit. And it was a tremendous thing, but it's, it's about over. It's within days of being over. Um, and what's on the other side of that is that that inflated cloud of, of, of money is only going to be partially replaced. And by the time we get to the election, which is only what slightly more than 90 days from now, um, the, I think I think November fourth and fifth are going to be very difficult days. Yeah. 
very difficult days because the bottom will fall out then. Well, well, no it's going to be no matter, no matter no matter who gets elected, the bottom will fall out the day after the election. I agree. Well, we're we're going to have to wake up, and 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 we won't be investing in in election goals at that point, right? We'll have another four years right. to um to to worry about that from a candidate's perspective, and so yeah, we'll have to make some of the hard hard decisions, and um probably really. Um, hunker down a bit more than than we have in the last several months here. But I guess, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, because I, I think what I'm seeing, at least in the news and what I'm seeing in the in the conversations with people, is that um, the fear of the pandemic is, is one component that everybody's talking about. But then on the other side is, you know, we are starting to see a, a belief, a a perception that, it's technology that's going to get us out of this, right? That um, some level of artificial intelligence, some level of biomechanics, some level of, um, you know, better designed robots will make, even even if the pandemic lasts longer than expected, it will make um, work and life more feasible. And, and that's where we seem to be seeing the investments. And, I mean, it's a poss- you know it's a possibility that as we've talked about before the innovations that that you know we were kind of looking for are starting to come out from underneath all of this um it, it, you know mother necessity is the motherhood of invention and and definitely we're seeing that in some cases do you feel any of that's at least part of the conversation too um i i, I... I'm not so sure that I'm seeing that. Um, I'm seeing things that are more like, oh, people are starting to realize that if you want the, if you want the employees to go back to the office, you're going to have to give them hazardous duty pay. Um, that 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 it's not possible to create a safe office because we don't know anything about the virus still. Right, and so, yeah. so if you want the if you want the offices to open, I've talked to people who hate working at home, who when they looked at what what it was going to be like to be in the office, they couldn't find the value in going to the office because in order to make the office so safe that you could put the workers in it, you cut out their ability to get things done, um, and. And and so we're gonna we're gonna have to think harder about a lot of a lot of these things. And there's a there's this um, uh, American business notion that you have to arrive at a quick solution. And um, the last thing that we need right now is a quick solution. You know what's going to happen? The, the 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 stuff about the schools being open or closed. I've never met a teacher who is willing to die for their students. As a matter of course, going into the going into the school in the morning, and that's what you're asking him to do, um, and and so so the schools aren't going to open, <laughs> you know, and that creates a whole bundle of problem because because the women in the workforce get the short end of the stick if the schools don't open, right? The 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 and and that is. Bizarre in the 21st century, but that's what that's what it's starting to look like. This this is so burdensome that that it's going to rearrange a lot of things socially, 
and we haven't even really started to understand those things yet. And it's it's horribly difficult, and it sounds doom and gloomy to say it's still you need to wait before you decide what you're going to do. Um, um, but but that the voice of a conservative voice that says wait, be slow here, be slow here, um, um, isn't part of the dialogue. The debate yeah. seems to be about how fast to go where, rather than than oh let's let's see if we could understand the problem first. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm from the understand the problem first school of thought. Um, um, so it's going it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because we've got we've got less than a month before the California schools should have opened. Um, We've got six weeks till almost every other kind of school opens, and yeah. the um, you know you know you, the the thing that I've been seeing is the the professional sports leagues, with all of their money and all of their uh, capacity to care for their employees, can't stop them from catching the disease, and yet. We want ill-equipped schools to have our children in them. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't get the priority set there. But it, it's not possible to solve it with all the money in the world. So what we should do is send our kids to be on the front line. <laughs> that's, well, that's I, stupid. Yeah, and not um, having kids in, in that kind of a school environment anymore. But although I do have children in the in the um, university setting, which is a, is a little bit better because they have a little more control over some of their options. But um, I had a friend who passed around um, a commentary, I think uh, up from the California area, where they, they're kind of running the numbers. And they're, and they're basically making, you will assume that, you know, 0.1% or whatever of the children will pass away. Well, that of a 160,000 school, you know, that's 310 kids or something. They, they had done the math and it ended up with like 310 kids. And I was and, and that number, I think, is the one that stuck with everybody. And, and that's, that's the same conversation we have about our employees and have been having about our employees to some extent, right, since the beginning of this, um, particularly for those working in frontline role, healthcare uh, or uh, warehousing or food packaging or any of those areas, right? They did, you know, we talk about the stimulus money running out, but those roles never even had the opportunity to get the stimulus money. They were always considered frontline workers. And, so their options were get no money or stay working, right? And so those are those are the difficult decisions I think we've been in for some time. We're just adding to that now our children, which is a whole different level, right? Yeah, yeah. So 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 I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm super optimistic, but I think this is going to get a lot worse real soon. Yeah. And um, you know what? I've been saying it's going to get a lot worse real soon now for for four or five months and it has <laughs> it has it has but the, the you know the market's continuing to move on and 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 things are continuing to sort of um people are continuing I think, to to push forward so you know it's a balance in the world that we're in yeah but yeah it it, it has continued to get worse and you know i think the slow and steady approach to a lot of this is not bad guidance I'm, I, I, I don't know that I would push for the let's jump as quickly as possible because I think there's a lot of people who are in, investing in that sort of – and using the language of agility as that type of um, 
thinking around it, and, and I think that's a very different dialogue at where the, the slow and steady, making some decisions about where we're at, what we're doing, and making um, very strategic data-driven movements is probably a much better you know, um, uh, guidance in this market. But that means you have to be able to gather the data. That means you have to have um, some level of flexibility in whatever you're doing, whether that's your personal decisions or your organization, to to wait a little bit. And that's, that's the hard part right now is, is if you didn't build in enough flexibility in your organization, um, extra people in, inside and outside your organization, extra time to get things done in your organization, you know, a, a small cushion from where you were at as far as investments, that makes it a lot harder, right, if you were working on the edge and everything, which is where we tended to be in it, and both uh, globally as well as business perspective. Everything was how close to the edge can we cut it, right? Right. Right, and now we're, in a, now we're in a new world. Sometimes it looks to me like everybody abandoned their posts to go work on the COVID problem. Um, and so so I think one of the reasons we're seeing sort of slow evolution in the industry news is um, people are busy fighting fires right now. And, and we're going to have a very interesting shift when the fires come under control and people wake up and go, oh, we sort of lost track of where we were going there for a little bit. And yeah. uh, that'll be that'll be a moment where the markets really change when we get there. So what's in the mailbag? Well, outside of all the bigger news that we've just been talking about, there is a lot of stuff going on, like you said, um, both in investments and in um, news about colleagues and friends. Um, we um, got news this week, very sad news, that um, PeopleStrong's co-founder, Shelly Singh, um, passed away um, from cancer. Um, uh, she ran um, – PeopleStrong is, is one of the larger sort of India-based um, HR payroll organizations, and, and one that was primarily focused on the India market. Um, but not only was she sort of a female in, in a predominantly male-led sort of space, she was also, I think, one of um, probably the, the few voices in the market really talking about how important the India market was as an individual market. Um, and so th that was a real loss to the, to the industry this week. Um, we also saw a couple things going on in the Asia Pacific market um, from our friends, and LeapGen hired a new uh, managing director out that way, and it's opening up some more uh, Asia Pacific work. Um, uh, David, I'm never going to say David's name, last name, right? I've met him multiple times. He's a great uh, gentleman. David Guazzarato, he can uh, let me know how badly I mangled his last name, but David has been a good friend of mine who's been out in the um, Asia Pacific market, been uh, consulting on talent management, HR, and things, and, and he's now the uh, new managing director for the Asia-Pacific market for LeapGen, uh, run by our good friend Jason Aberbrook. Um, we also had quite a bit of investments this week. Uh, probably the largest one is Social Chorus announcing a $100 million investment led by Sumera Equity Partners. Uh, Social Chorus was most interesting to me of all the other investments. There were some other ones. There's um, a couple of performance management tools like Lattice and um, we saw some interesting investments in a couple of workforce management tools. We might sort of bring them in next week, but I think Social Course is the most interesting this week um, because they're a communications platform, a workforce communications platform, so we'll probably want to talk about them. 
ServiceNow and Deloitte extended their strategic alliance agreements. We're seeing closer and closer connections between these, these groups. Um, and I think this might have also impacted Deloitte no longer supporting their own, um, they, they had sort of their own service HR service delivery application for a while that they were sort of pitching to the market. I've had a couple of people ask me recently if I knew what happened to that. It doesn't seem to be out there and available anymore, probably in light of this connection. Um, we are also seeing more back-to-work type of technologies going on. CATAPA, uh, C-A-T-A-P-A, um, HR launched a back-to-the-office digital suite, which was uh, quite interesting, um, and some of the tools that they're, they're putting forward there. Um, and then if we get a little bit of time, there's some interesting stuff going on, I think, on the innovation side um, with some new tools. One um, is a fully audit, automated AI recruiter from Evrio. Um, is, if that's something that you're completely interested in, we're also seeing uh, machine learning that's being sort of flipped on its head, being used to help our actors and our creative talent inside the media environments figure out how they communicate with their new audiences, kind of like if you're talent, how do I find out who's the right place for me to communicate and talk to? So sort of taking that matching technology and flipping it. Um, and then we also have um, another set of new technologies being put out by, uh, and I'm not going to say this correctly, Ajaros, A-N-D-G-J-A-R-O-S, um, which is a co-founder of uh, Clinton, um, whose co-founder Quentin really talked a little bit about a tool that that they're building that is helping blue-collar workers and large organizations sort of match up work um, and not be sort of temporary services, but share workers. And I heard a lot of conversation about sharing workers recently. And we saw that in the 2008 downturn as well. So lots of stuff going on, John. I don't know if there's any particular one of these topics that you want to focus on, but it's, it's interesting conversations these days in different places. Yeah, well, let's let's start with because because I am I am all about uh, uh, AI and recruiting. Let's start let's start with this company called Avrio um, that is launching what they call a fully automated AI recruiter. Um, um, let's see, it, they provide the first fully automated end-to-end recruiting technology leveraging AI to increase recruiter efficiency while eliminating non-strategic manual tasks. That is their statement. You know, that's quite a thing to say, and if it weren't for the last 20 companies that said something like that, it would probably be super notable. But but you know this is this, this is a case where you have a company that needs a new PR firm, um, um, and right right because because the whole thing is um, um, that that you have to be able to be understood as different from the competition and this doesn't differentiate um, and they claim to have. Um, at, at the core, this is a job distribution thing with a theoretical database of 75 million candidates. But but anybody who's bought and sold these kinds of things over the last 25 years knows that the databases always have holes and the job distribution is never intelligent. Um, yeah. and, so you, and, and so you get way more crap back. If you, you know, this is, this is, Automated recruiting, like using dynamite to fish, 
So, <laughs> yes. Yes, you can catch fish this way. Yes, you can. And it makes a lot of noise, and it's kind of fun. But it makes a really big mess. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? And so, so you know, there's a flood of new recruiting investment that the Andreessen Horowitz people have really come out strong about investing in tools that look like job boards uh, and sort of front end of the recruiting process stuff. And I think we're going to see more um, um, offers like this uh, where what's reasonably clear is that there are no actual practicing recruiters involved in the development of the process. Um, So, so, but but you know what you know what we've seen over the years is that is that investment money doesn't really have much sense because it's more like playing um, um, uh, what's what's that game where you spin is it roulette where you spin the wheel and you bet on red and black and the numbers that's that's, um, that's what investment yeah that's that's what investment is like. Um, well, particularly in these days, right? We're not quite sure what's going to take off post, you know, sort of the pandemic conversation. But uh, I think the thing that sort of threw me on this one, and, and, and there were multiple stories like this, but it's, it's the language that's being used in all of these. There was another one where, you know, X amount of companies were now putting robots in that you never had to talk to HR. Is this, this, this desire to craft the marketing around the idea that you never have to touch anyone, you never have to see anyone, you never have to be involved until the point at which you make the, you know, until, you know, the idea that virtuality is all about not being involved, I guess, was, was sort of the bigger conversation that I saw in multiple levels across um, topics this week, which I'm not, you know, we've talked about the fact that the virtual approach to things isn't working very well for a lot of different types of industries. And this is particularly one in HR where the idea of not being involved as being a good thing, does that really make it better? That that's the piece that caught my eye on all of it, right? So 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 tell me a little bit more about this. You, you see this as the the essence being get the people out of the system so that it can work better. Um, not even and, work better. Work work without having to to interact because in pandemic days we don't want people having to be connected or being um, you definitely don't want to do things face to face but in not doing things face to face that means you don't want to have all the all the other touch points as well right so so i'm remind i'm reminded of a project that i had to do earlier this week that involved oh god it was a long day it involved a spreadsheet with the, the first spreadsheet had 25,000 lines in it. Um, and I figured out after a while how to get that down to a thousand. Um, and then I had to go look line by line at the thousand lines and categorize those things so that, that I could make sense out of the thing that I'd been given. Right? That kind of work, people do that kind of work all the time. And I hate doing that kind of work. I really hate doing that kind of work. And I spent a day um, with some music on getting it done. And um, at the end, I learned stuff that I couldn't learn any other way. 
Now, I don't like doing the work, but I, I learned things that I couldn't learn any other way because I touched every single bit of data in the stack. Uh, and that's the thing I think you're talking about being missing here, yeah. really. It's not, exactly. it's, not so much, it's not so much the interaction with people that is, is concerning. It's the interaction with the actual thing that's going on that's concerning. You know? So if you don't ever have to touch anything, how would you have any sense of whether or not it was going well? Because the machine, you ask the machine, how are you doing? And it says, hey, boss, I'm doing okay, and that's good enough. <laughs> you know, that, that smacks of the current problem with engagement um, polling and testing. How are you doing? Fine. Everything's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, this is this is the um, – but, but it's even worse in the fact that I think because – because we're stepping into automation as an answer to the pandemic conversation, because that means you can reduce human touch points, then we're saying, oh, if we're automating it anyways, then we're also just, we're just going to take the person out of it. It just makes more sense that I'm doing this now at this time, right? And I think that, that's the, the leap that we're making that concerns me, right? Um, is um, generally when you go through an automation process, there is a, a, a point at which you go from, manual to sort of investing in a couple of tools to automate to sort of having another person maybe do it and then, you know, automating it. So you're kind of going through the process where you're learning and getting continuous feedback and making changes all the way through until you end up in a sort of in a spot where it is truly automated, like my calculator doing my times tables, right? But, and you will lose something along the way but you gain it in efficiency, but we're sort of skipping over that just because taking the human element out of it is the first thing we're focusing and not the automation, I guess maybe is a better way to put it. So it's it's just a very different approach that I think we're, we're all going to have to maybe watch a little carefully in the next couple of months. Well, and, and it'll, it'll accelerate as, as the economy sours, uh, the layoffs will accelerate. Right? And as the layoffs accelerate, people are going to be looking for solutions that do the work of the people who used to work there. And so we're going to see more of this. And the, you know, the, the big questions actually turn out to be things like we're talking about, which is not that you miss the human connection. It's how do you know when the thing is broken if you don't have anybody around who knows what they're doing? And yeah. if you thin down the number of people who know what they're doing, how do they ever get a chance to go through that process that I described of looking at the data if the machine does it? Right. Yeah. So, so there's stuff that you can learn from doing the work that you don't get to learn if a machine does it all for you all the time. And, and that means that you are um, ceding control of the decision to a machine that you don't understand very well. And that's a bad mm-hmm. idea. And, you know, the other big, I think, um, topic this week that came out throughout all of the conversations was not only the automation and the robotics and and AI is going to sort of get us out of it, but the other thing was the connection between service delivery, like, you know, meeting the needs of your employees and sort of getting to sort of what is whatever the next sort of generation of work environments that we're looking at. I mean, the we saw the ServiceNow and Deloitte extending their strategic alliance, which was all about HR service delivery and how those two are going to work hand-in-hand hand and how important it is to have 
communication and work. We also saw the hundred, you know, million dollar investment in Social Course, which is a company I've seen briefly, but not a lot. Um, all their focus is is an organization that's doing workforce communications, which is a mixture of sort of onboarding and um, benefits information, but now COVID information as well. So, you know, the flip side of this is people are looking for information and details and they're hungry for it and we're not sure how to get it to them right now. And that's the other big threat I saw this week as well. So, so I've been looking really hard at HR um, that uses SharePoint as a way of creating self-service opportunities for employees. And, and, and you can, you can see a lot of this stuff as, companies noticing that SharePoint doesn't work at all, <laughs> that, that, it is, yeah. that it's a bad way to organize stuff and that it gets filled up with contradictory junk. And when you take a pass through like some of these firms are doing to try to reorganize the SharePoint stuff, I mean, that's, that's a lot of what, what ServiceNow does really is, is, is make sense out of the existing junk but the the problem is that the existing junk is highly contradictory um and if you don't thoroughly audit that stuff with some sort of a framework about what constitutes good uh, you end up with even more confusion after after the um repaving of the road is done and and so i think yeah. we're gonna, i think we're going to see a lot of trust in this area and the reality is that the cost of an effective implementation of automation technology is significantly higher than this this uh, round of funding and investment would lead you to believe. Okay. Yeah. It's expensive. And, and it's not just – it's very expensive, and, and, and it's also going to be um, – it's going to require, you know, I've been through multiple rounds of what, what I call this is, is really knowledge management, right? Um, you know, we, we went through it in the 90s. We went through it in a round of it in the 2000s, various levels of, of technology. Now it's, it's falling on the shoulders of these HR service delivery organizations or communications tools, right? Um, it's the constant issue that the data inside your organization is never organized as well as it needs to be to to just manage general communications, let alone helping you make good decisions. Um, and it's because the stuff that's not organized well is the stuff that's complex and requires context around it, unlike standard data like employee size and, you know, how many people you're recruiting and some stuff that we've been using in our big data analysis up to this point. So I think your comment about the fact that it's going to require a lot more money is true. It will also, I think, require new technologies that think differently, um, don't just look at the data inside of it, but look at all the contextual conversations around it. And that's a lot harder and a lot bigger type of, data, of uh, technology. I would assume you've probably studied more of it than I have. So, Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. So another great conversation. Um, thanks for doing this. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll be back here same time next week. Uh, you've been listening to... HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. This was our 275th show. We will be back here next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone.
Bye.